following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Okay, now I have an assigned text for today, and I'm actually going to preach on that. But before I do that, one of the things that I've recognized, and I, as Ted mentioned, I'm on sabbatical for a few weeks here, um, is I recognize how important it is to be together as the body of Christ. Um, and, and that's, you know, post-pandemic, how do we get together? So I'm going to have everybody, if you would please, stand up and look two or three people in the eye and say, it's good to be with you here today. Would you just do that? Just do that. Stand up. Say, it's good to be with you here today. Okay, have a seat. By the way, if you met somebody new, you can follow up afterwards and, you know, get to know who they are. So the text that we're going to look at today is the one that Chelsea read just a minute ago from Mark 9. And as we get into that, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, it's your word, and you're here with us, and you want to speak to us. Open our ears. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Amen. So as you're walking through the Gospel of Mark, now I was privileged to be here two weeks ago on the first Sunday of my sabbatical. Um, so I kind of got the rhythm of what's going on as you're marching through Mark to uh, the resurrection at Easter. Uh, the text for today is a significant moment in Jesus' life, the story of the transfiguration. So if you've been a Jesus follower for a while, you know some of the backstory here. Uh, let, let's just back up to the chapter before this. So Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he, he was kind of, in essence, saying, do you guys realize what's going on here? When I fed the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? Twelve, they say. Okay, good. When I fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? Seven. Do you see what's going on? It's kind of like, do you see that I'm just not a normal guy? I mean, he's kind of like, I'm, I'm really, there's something else happening here. Then he gets up to Caesar. Caesarea Philippi, and Pastor Ted talked on this last week, where Peter says, you are the Christ. You know, that's who people say, I am, you're the Christ. And then, then there's this little tension where Peter doesn't want Jesus to talk about suffering and dying. And, and uh, then Mark kind of closes that off, and then he te- tells us this very significant narrative of the transfiguration. Now, we don't know exactly what mountain this is. If you go to Israel today, they'll point to Mount Tabor and say, we think it's there. And then, of course, somebody's put a a church up there on top so you can remember it. Location is not so important as much as what takes place. So Jesus is on the mountain, and as he's there, it says his his appearance is transformed. Now, the way Mark describes it, and Matthew and Luke have the story as well, but it's, he's just brilliantly white. His, his, his apparel turns white, and he's shining, and it's, it's different. And then these two people are with him, Moses and Elijah. And that's really significant, so let's, let's kind of jump into that for a minute to understand. Moses. Okay, so when was Moses alive and doing ministry? Well, that's at the time of the Exodus, which is, we'll just ballpark, 1,200 years before this. So Moses was called by God at like age 80 plus. Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. 
on the way, they get to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God makes an agreement with the children of Israel. And the agreement is this. I'm the Lord your God. I led you out of Egypt. This is what you're going to do. You're not going to have any other gods. Now, that's a significant thing in those days because they had been in the land of the pharaohs and there are all sorts of different gods and the you know, God of the sun and the God of the earth and the God of the dead and all that. And they had been there 400 years, so they, they kind of got probably needed a little bit of clarification from God about all of this. Not that they had lost their understanding of Yahweh, the Hebrew word for Lord. Uh, that, that was his name. Um, but they needed some direction and, and, and vision. And so God says, you shall have no other gods. And then he explains what that looks like, and he gives them these commandments. And actually, all of the commandments are just the first commandment explained. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods. What's that mean? Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your parents. Don't commit murder or adultery or steal or whatever. So no other gods. So here's Moses, this champion, this leader of there's only one God. Moses, the one who is inspired to write, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. So no idols, God, the Lord only. That's Moses. Okay, 1200 B.C. And we track forward to about 450 years later. And it's the time of the, the, the people of Israel are in the promised land, but the kingdom's divided. And in the northern kingdom, there's this very bad king, Ahab, and it's even worse queen, Jezebel. Jezebel was not of God's people. She was of a you know, foreign extraction, and she followed Baal and had all of these prophets for Baal. And, and so there were the, where the people of God were supposed to be following the Lord, they were being led to follow this idol and all, all his various manifestations. So Elijah, he has it out with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And you may remember the story if you remember some of your Old Testament history. If you're not, if you're new to it, real quick, he says, okay, we're going to see who's God. You guys, you prepare a sacrifice, and I'll prepare a sacrifice. Put it on your altar and pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God. Whoever's God lights a sacrifice, that's God. And so the prophets of Baal put the sacrifice, the meat out there, and they pray and pray, and, and Elijah says, hey, yeah, I'll pray a little bit louder because your God can't hear you. You know, he's really taunting them and giving some stuff, and nothing happens. And so then Elijah takes water and pours it on the altar over and over again. I mean, it's just drenched, and there's a, the, the little moat around the altar, altar is filled with water, and then he prays. Boom. And the Lord sends lightning and burns up the sacrifice and the altar. And in essence, Elijah's saying, Yahweh, the Lord is God and not Baal. And then even after that, then he, he has all of those prophets of Baal killed so that they don't influence anymore. Elijah and Moses are like the quintessential leaders of the Old Testament for expressing that only Yahweh, only the Lord is God. They're 
are no other gods. So now we have this moment where Jesus is transfigured and Moses and Elijah show up. Now, I don't want to denigrate this by talking about Star Wars. But you know that scene at the end of the, the third movie, which is actually the sixth movie, but where basically the Death Star is destroyed and all the Ewoks are celebrating and Luke is there and he looks over and there appears Yoda. And there appears um, Luke's dad, or whatever his name was, Anakin, also known as Darth Vader, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, all these Jedi, and they're kind of like, I think, I think the author of that was inspired by the transfiguration. I don't know. Because here's Jesus, all brilliant, and, and it's interesting. Peter, James, and John knew that that's Moses and Elijah. Which, by the way, if you go back to Caesarea Philippi just a few weeks before this, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Why Elijah? Well, in, in Malachi, at the end of Malachi, it says that Elijah will come before Messiah. And Jesus equates John the Baptist as Elijah. Not specifically Elijah himself, but Elijah was the prophet who just did battle with the enemy and won. All the other prophets were more writing prophets or preaching prophets. Elijah was that, plus he was a, he was a warrior prophet. So we see Moses and Elijah, and Peter's got to say, this is huge. This is big. This is great. Something's going on here. And then he says, well, let's build three tents, three booths. Let's camp out here. Let's not leave this place of, wow, this is awesome. Look at this, Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Let's not lose this. And as soon as he says that, he, they hear a voice. And the father says, this is my son. Listen to it. And I want to give that quote exact because I, I want you to hear those words again. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they long, no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Now, it'll be interesting to hear God tell us when we get to heaven all that he meant to do through the transfiguration, but there's this much. And that is, he emphasizes that his son, the chosen one, the Messiah, is following the lines of Moses and Elijah, who were all about emphasizing there are no other gods. It's only Yahweh. It's only the Lord. And then when Moses and Elijah are gone, the Father clearly says, listen to this one. He's my son. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event. And so, it, it, I mean, it's, it's really significant. And, and in fact, Peter, later on in his writing, says, and we were there. We beheld this. This is a high point. But what they leave with is not, they, they didn't get to stay at this spiritual high point. Now they had to come down off the mountain and they had to keep their eyes on, this is Jesus, listen to him. 
Jesus comes down, and it's soon after this that he starts heading for Jerusalem, suffering and dying and rising, and everything happens because of that. Okay, story, application. Do you ever lose sight of Jesus? Rephrase that. How do you lose sight of Jesus? When do you lose sight of Jesus? I mean, sometimes we could lose sight of Jesus like, whoa, this is so great. This is so wonderful. This is a great party. Let's just never leave this moment, which is what was going on when Peter said that. And then he, all of that was gone, but he had to see Jesus. More frequently, I think we lose sight of Jesus. And catch this. I think it's because the other gods are enticing us to look to them and not to Jesus. And that, I, that's, that's a helpful thing here. Moses and Elijah were, there is no, no God but Yahweh. And Jesus, of course, is that way too. Seek me. Seek the kingdom first. He establishes, seek me only. And, and he actually says to Peter, just a few verses before this, up at Caesarea Philippi, that you have to die, you have to lose your life. What good does it do a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You need to die to yourself. I am everything. But we are tempted to follow other gods. We really are. Um, and the gods come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. It, you know, the other God is the thing that we turn to because we think it's going to make us happy. It's going to fulfill us. It's going to give, it could be a person. And I don't mean like, you know, like an idol, like American Idol or a rock star or something like that, even though, it, you know, we play around with that sometimes. But it could be, if, if I have a relationship with that person or I expect that person's going to make me happier, this person's going to fulfill my life. And we start to elevate them to the place of, no, only God's going to really fulfill our lives. It could be something to which we become addicted. There's all sorts of things that people pursue in their lives because they think, if I eat it, drink it, smoke it, take it, it's going to make me better and I'm going to be happy. And we know that that's not the case, but we will turn there. Um, you know, in our day, it's um, a lot of pleasure is addictive, and it's pleasure from the false gods, which, by the way, when Jezebel, queen, back in Elijah's time, all those prophets of Baal, the prophets of Baal operated from a position of sexual promiscuity connected to the God. If, if, if the God and the goddess had sexual relationships, it would rain. Fertility. There were fertility gods. So how do we make it rain? You go to the temple where there are cultic prostitutes, and you enjoy what they have for you, and then God will perhaps make it rain on your property. I mean, that's all tied up with this. Now, the kids are out of the room. That's what I'm telling you about this now. But it's the, I mean, that was the case. That's what's underlying all the Baal stuff. So sexual revolution and all the strange stuff of today and all the enticements that are out there, it's nothing new. But it all goes back to pleasure. It all goes back to here. So the whole 
cultic world of Baal and Asherah, that was the female uh, version of Baal, um, was all about that. In our world, that could be another god. Okay, so now, now we've put on the, this pleasure pursuit. I think sometimes it's not like we're pursuing another god per se, but we get caught up in our worries and fears. And so we think if, if we didn't have these bad things happening, then life would be better. So our God becomes the absence of trouble. So I found myself the other day. So Mary and I are driving up on Friday, and I'm reflecting as I see a $50 charge for gasoline. I'm like, When's the last time I put $50 worth of gas? I mean, I just drive a sedan, $50. It's a standard tank, $50. And I said, Thank you, Vladimir Putin. You know, and I, and I thought that that was interesting that I went that route. But we, I mean, that's just a little piece of all the stuff that goes on in our lives. You know, Ted prayed for Ukraine, and he told us the other day about the story of this, this missionary that's over there. I mean, and we've read this. It's terrible. It's awful. It's bad. So you got all these bad things going on, and the gap price of gas is going up, and inflation, and you know, small potatoes compared to what they're going through. But all of that's going on. Oh, and then we still are dealing with post-pandemic stuff, and I want to say post because I want to believe post-pandemic, but you know, it, all of that's there, and and then we don't get along with each other because somebody believes that this is the way it is, and somebody believes that that's the way it is, and our world is full of that. So is our God that moment when we'll all come together and it'll all be peaceful? Well, that's not going to happen. That's not our God either. The text says that they saw only Jesus and they heard the voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So here's what I want to encourage you to do is to imagine, what if, what if I just looked to Jesus? Now, Jesus, Son of God, only one. There's no other, all right? We're, this, we're not, it's not Jesus and something else. The one who gives his life for your sins and mine, the one who rises from the dead, and the one who offers us forgiveness and teaches us how to live for him fully. You know, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let me, let me live according to all of that. So what if I saw only Jesus and I stopped getting fixated on my, and now go to this place that I identified as other gods, but whatever they are, the things that I pursue, power and position and profit and pleasure, the things that I'm worried about, the things that concern me, and I just said, I want, to, I want to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, to hear the voice of Jesus is to just let that word of his love and forgiveness be in your heart, to know that he loves me and he forgives me. And that's what matters. Tomorrow, things may change. It may be even worse than today. But I'm going to keep hearing the voice of Jesus. So the challenge then becomes, if I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus, what are the patterns, what are the rhythms that I need to get into to, to be able to do that? 
Um, each of you will, will look at your life and you'll figure out the things that you say. If I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus, I probably not ought to stop paying attention to that voice. You know, uh, I have a friend who always jokes that when he goes to see his, his dad, he always has, and then insert name of TV station that you don't like, you know, he always has CNN on. He always has Fox News on. You know, you just, there's a spectrum, whatever it is, okay? He's always listening to that voice. Now, I'm not saying that, you're, that you've got your house filled with those voices, but perhaps your mind gets filled with those voices and you're paying attention. So if I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus, perhaps I need to start saying no to that. If I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus, now what you're doing now, and if you're watching online, this rhythm is really, really important. And I experience this when I'm, when I, now I, I have the privilege 10 years ago of having a, a sabbatical, and, and my church is giving me one now for a season. But I find that I need to show up with other believers weekly. Because if I don't, my ears start to pay attention to other voices than to the voices. This just centers me. Why do we show up here? It's interesting, we, but we were meeting with some Part, some parts of the Harvest Partnership Network recently. And the question was, how do we help people realize the importance of coming together and just getting re-centered in Jesus? Because that's a challenge. You know, the pandemic's been really hard. And we all said, well, I think we just keep enjoying it and praying it and encouraging one another in it. And we just keep pressing into it. And I'm here to say that for me personally, a guy right now who doesn't have to show up on Sunday mornings for, you know, because it's my job, I need to show up. I need, uh, I need to be there with other believers. And I believe that's, I mean, that's why the scripture says, let's not neglect meeting together, but let's encourage one another. That's why the pattern in the commandments is remember the Sabbath day, which is that regular rhythm of, you know, on a weekly basis, getting together with other believers, encouraging them. That's how I hear the voice of Jesus. I imagine that's how you do too. But ultimately, hear this. When you find that you haven't been hearing the voice of Jesus and you have been going to other, those other gods, remember what we did just a few minutes ago when we confessed our sins. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Recognize that on this side of heaven, we're still not going to be hearing that voice perfectly, but jump right back on board with hearing what he has to say to you. Okay. Go through these days. Hear those words from the Father. This is my beloved Son, this him. And just keep doing some self-checks. Who am I paying attention to? What am I listening to? And the way you're going to know that you're not listening to the voice of Jesus, if you start to look to something else for pleasure or, or power or position or profit instead of focusing on Jesus, or if you start getting so caught up in worry and fear that you forget to focus on Jesus, and it probably will leak out in the way that you might be speaking to others around you. You know, if you, if you find yourself getting angrier, uh, come back to Jesus. And here's, I'm going to close with this. To come back to Jesus, what does that mean to come back to Jesus? Just start saying, thank you, Jesus. Start, if you went to hear the voice of Jesus, just keep going back to say, Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you forgive me. And then start listing all the other blessings. I know that for me, the more that I do that, the more I just go, oh, I'm paying attention to him. 
thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. I mean, we are, as Harvest Partnership, we are really glad that we're connected up here in the Austin area, you know, with Narrative. There's a house church plant down in Maynard, Grace in Pflugerville. We're praying about something that might take place out in Taylor um, and, and wherever God's leading that. But um, especially remember that you're, you're not alone. You're part of a whole network of churches that really want to connect the disconnected. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you keep reminding us of your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Help us to hear your voice. And as we hear your voice, let us be encouraged for anything we face in these days. Amen.